the first reading uh, this morning is Psalms, uh, from Psalms, Psalm 19, verses 1 to 14. <clears throat> the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God was pitched has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming, coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to, to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, Refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold. Than much pure gold, they are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Do not worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, reap, or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, he will not much more clothe you, you of little faith. 
So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And if you want to know what Zach's been eating, just have a look at my trousers later. <laughs> Thanks, son. Okay. Has anyone here heard of the doomsday clock? I thought that would be a nice cheery start to a Sunday morning. <laughs> the doomsday clock. Um, I've got a picture. There you go, the doomsday clock. Okay. The doomsday clock, according to Wikipedia, uh, is a symbol that represents a countdown to possible global catastrophe. So there we go. It's been maintained by, since 1947 by the members of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists Science and Security Board. Yeah who are in turn advised by the governing board and the board of sponsors, including 18 Nobel laureates. So, some clever people look after this big clock. There is actually a clock. It's not just a picture of a clock. There is actually a clock which hangs on a wall in the Bulletin's office in the University of Chicago. And it did originally used to represent how close we were to some sort of global nuclear war. And the closer it gets to midnight, midnight is global nuclear war. However, um, since 2007, because the threat of global nuclear war wasn't that great anymore and they still needed something to keep us scared, um, they, they've then sort of added in climate change and new developments in life sciences and technology and anything that could inflict irrevocable harm to humanity. Because it's, it's good to know about these things, isn't it? You know, how close are we to all being wiped out? So as I said before, midnight is basically wipeout, and uh, the closer it gets, it's like um, it's like countdown, isn't it? Boom. So when it was originally set up in 1947, they set the time at seven minutes to midnight. As I sort of, that'll do. That's kind of indicative of how close we are to all being wiped out. You're getting closer. The closer you get to nicking the collection. Don't choose today to be the first time you learn to climb up. It's been set backwards and forwards at various times by, by this group of, of learned people, depending on how, uh, how close or far away they think we are from, from wipeout. Um, 22 times in total. Um, the smallest, the closest we've ever come to midnight, two minutes two minutes to midnight in 1953. And the farthest we've ever been away from midnight, 17 minutes in 1991, which is kind of round about the fall of communist bloc in Eastern Europe. Now the reason I mention it is because 
I think they were getting worried that everyone had forgotten who they were and what they did. So the other week they said, we're changing the clock. And so it's now, does anyone know actually? Oh, there we go. It's now two and a half minutes to midnight. That's the second closest to midnight it's ever been. Two minutes was in 1953. Um, And that was because um, Donald Trump had made some comments about nuclear weapons. Um, That's a great idea. Thank you. Um, And generally, Trump's administration doesn't believe in climate change, so they were concerned about that. Uh, But it's not all just Trump. They're also concerned about the the rise of strident nationalism worldwide. So it's not just just anti-Trump that they've moved it forward. They're generally concerned that we're getting closer to to wipe out. So so there we go. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Um, If we just put the next slide up, that's the position it's been closest to midnight with midnight at the bottom. You can tell by the little uh, mushroom cloud (laughs) at the bottom left. So you can see how close and how far away it's been as we've gone along. And actually since 1991, it's been getting closer and closer to midnight, slowly but surely. Um, but there we go. So we're, we're, we're as, almost as close to midnight as we've ever been. It's interesting that it's like 1963, the Cuban Missile Crisis, when everyone thought we were literally minutes away from a, a global nuclear war. They had us about, what was it, 13 minutes <laughs> to midnight? I don't know what they knew that we didn't, but actually, I suppose they were right in the end. Um, so there we go. So... We're closer to midnight now than we were during the height of the Cold War or pretty much anything else, well, other than 1953, which I suppose really was the start of the Cold War. So there we go. So why am I telling you about the doomsday clock on a Sunday morning? Well, Jesus in our passage says, don't worry about life. Don't worry about what you eat, what you drink, what you're going to wear. Because life's worth more than, or life is more than food. And your body is more than what you wear. And a lot of people sort of read that and they go, but but I'm a bit worried about where my next meal's coming from. Or I am a bit worried about how I'm going to get enough money to buy new shoes for the kids. Or I am a bit worried about kids need school, new school uniform or, or I need, I've got a new job and I need to get new clothes for work. And Jesus isn't saying don't be concerned. He's talking about not letting anxiety take over. It's actually quite right to be responsibly concerned about providing for, for yourself and for your friends and for your family. If you took that passage and kind of misinterpreted it to extremes, you could say, well, you know, as Christians, none of us should have jobs and we should all just sit around and expect that God will feed us and clothe us and, and, you know, we'll all wear fig leaves and we'll eat what falls off the trees. And I suppose we could. But that's not what God is calling us all to do. God gives us skills and he gives us things that we're passionate passionate about and he gives us opportunities to to work so that we can provide for ourselves and provide for our families. But quite often we'll see in our world around us that people get so focused on got to have the latest clothes, 
got to be able to eat at the best restaurants, got to work every hour that I can possibly manage because I've, I've got to earn more money so that I can buy more stuff. And people end up going into meltdown because they get stressed out by how hard they're working and never taking time out for themselves and, and providing this, providing stuff becomes all that's important. Now I know that you know, life isn't easy for all of us and we're in, a, we're in an uncertain world and hence the, the doomsday clock and there's lots of things changing and you know, I think lots of people kind of thought, well oh, I'm not sure 2016 could be, you know, could have been much worse and then you sort of think, well 2017 is making a good go at being worse than 2016 in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, I was tempted to write something like that on Facebook the other day. It's like, dear 2017, you didn't have to try very hard to improve on 2016, but so far you're not doing very well. Um, but I didn't because I found something more interesting to do. I don't know what it was, but it was anything. Um, I'm wittering. So Jesus is saying, don't, don't be excessively anxious about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. Put God first rather than worrying about food or clothes. God doesn't really care if you're wearing your Sunday best when you come to church. You probably could turn up in, in just a bin bag and God wouldn't really mind. The rest of us might, okay? The rest of us might. I think actually if you did turn up in just a bin bag and said, I've turned up in a bin bag because I've got nothing else to wear, what you would get would be inundated with clothes from the rest of us, to be honest. Um, can you, thanks for the warning, Carol. I'm not sure you'd want my clothes anyway. It becomes really easy to let this stuff become more important than the person who provides it. It's a bit like, I suppose it's a bit like at Christmas when the kids get so excited about what they get that they forget to thank the people that gave them it. And we get so focused on what we can get in life that we forget to thank the person who gave us it. How does that link to our other reading? I would know if I could find my notes. There we go. Well, in the psalm, it starts by talking about how the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And I kind of saw a link there between the psalmist talking about how we can see God's love for us in the heavens and how Jesus uses God's creation to describe how much God loves us and how much, if you see the flowers and see how beautiful they are, wouldn't God care for you more than he would care for the flowers? Wouldn't he care for you more than he cares for the birds? But again, quite often we focus on just that first bit of the, the psalm and we say, wasn't well, it great that we can see God's, God's love for us in creation? And then people start to say, well, do I need to go to church? Or could I go out on my bike instead? Because I can see God's creation far better when I'm out riding my bike than I can when I'm inside the church. So I could, I could enjoy God's creation on a Sunday morning and, and, and worship God in that way by, by riding my bike through some nice hills. 
or along a very nice flat canal path. Um, or I could enjoy God's creation whilst playing a round of golf or playing football or any of the lots of other things that can distract us. Playing guitar. <laughs> but the next bit of the psalm talks about the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And these were always the bits in the Bible that I didn't like, especially when I was a kid. Because of the bits that your mum says to you when you're like, I don't want to read my Bible. Oh, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise. Yeah, whatever, mum. I don't want to read my Bible. Let me just read the exciting bits, David and Goliath. But what the, what the psalm writer is saying is, Unless you, unless you know God, and you know God how, in the way he reveals himself to what's written in the Bible, then looking at hills and trees and grass is just looking at hills and trees and grass. And you might even go, oh, isn't it great that there's a God who created the hills and the trees and the grass? But you won't really get to understand about God just by looking at hills and trees and grass. You get to know about God by reading what he's written for us to know about him. Not him literally writing it, obviously, but what he's inspired other people to write in the Bible. We get to know what God is like by reading the Bible. And then when we see the hills and the trees and the grass and the flowers and the sheep and the salmon leaping majestically up the waterfalls and all the rest of it, then we can say, Wow, I know that God is a God of love because the Bible tells me. And I can give thanks that God loved us so much that he wanted to make this beautiful world for us to live in. There's a story about um, Gabriel in heaven talking to God about creation. And Gabriel says, You've made a fantastic job of creation, God. He says, that's a beautiful world you've created. And God says, yeah, I've just got one last finishing touch to make. He says, I'm going to create this special country. He says, all right. He says, yeah, it's going to be my my absolute masterpiece, the pièce de résistance of my creation. It's going to have beautiful mountains and crystal clear lakes and streams and salmon and trees and fresh air and deer running through the mountains and it's going to be an absolutely beautiful place and the people that live there will be so lucky that they live there and they'll be so pleased that they'll worship me all the time and they'll they'll say oh thank you God for, for creating this country just for us to live in and Gabriel says well that sounds great he says what He says, what are you going to call it? He says, I'm going to call it Scotland. (laughs) He says, won't the people that live there be a little bit too, too, won't everyone else be envious of them because you've you've given them this beautiful place to live in? He says, it's all right, I'm going to balance it out. I said, what do you mean? He says, wait till you see the neighbours I'm giving them. (laughs) No, not the Welsh, Mark. 
So the, the, the psalm tells us about how God loves us, and we can see that in the beauty of his creation. But that we know that because we can read about it in the Bible, and we can get to know God through what we read about him in the Bible. And it says, you know, how, how more precious than gold, sweeter than honey, are God's words. And in response, there's a wholehearted submission to God at the end, isn't there? So he says, who can discern their own faults? Forgive me my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins that they may not rule over me. So it's fine, it's all well, well and good to read the Bible, but if it doesn't affect us, then what was the point? We might as well have read the old curiosity shop or the born identity or whatever else you want to read. If it doesn't affect us, if it doesn't result in us submitting to God and allowing God to change us, then what was the point? And that's basically what Jesus was saying as well. It's important to submit to God and to say, God, I I trust you. I can't see what your plan is right now. I can't tell what you're up to. But I trust you. I know from reading the Bible that you love me. I know that you have a plan for my life. And no matter how difficult it might seem right now, I know that your plan is the best plan for my life. Now I know from talking to to friends that that, and, and from personal experience, that that is really, really difficult to do. You might as well be trying to find your way through a piece of countryside that you've never been to before, without a map, in the fog, at night, with no torch. but in some ways it's like doing all that, but then with someone just ahead who says, it's okay, I know the path. Follow the sound of my voice and I'll lead you out and I'll lead you to where it's not so foggy and it's not dark. So just keep following the sound of my voice. When the Israelites were wandering in the desert, they had a cloudy pillar that they followed during the day that they could see and they had a, a fiery pillar at night that gave them light and they just they, they followed it and generally speaking when they when they followed God they were on track and when they didn't follow God they ended up wandering around the wilderness for 40 years and sometimes the difficult thing comes when we start to then put our own priorities in, in place and we, we start to worry about the the clothes and the food and the, the new car or the new shoes or whatever it is and we let that become the focus instead of God so I want to encourage you this morning rather than make you feel bad I want to encourage you that if you feel like you're in the fog in the dark with no torch and no map and you don't know where you are that there is a voice saying follow me Sometimes it's a loud voice shouting at you, saying, Oi, you're not listening. I'm over here. Follow me. 
And sometimes it's a really quiet little voice that you have to listen for and you have to make the effort to really focus on. I'm terrible at work. I don't know if, I don't know if it's... I think it's, I'd like to think that there's something wrong with me rather than just me being nosy. There's a lot wrong with me. But I'm, I find it really difficult sometimes to concentrate on what someone's saying to me if there's lots of other noise around. Or there's, you know, and, and sometimes other people's conversations sound far more interesting than the one that the person's having with me, Rachel. Um, especially when it's Ethan telling you about his Lego. Um, for... 20 minutes solid but um, so sometimes we have to really make the effort to tune in and focus on God's voice in amongst all the other noise and clamour all the adverts on telly saying no but you need those new clothes you need to buy these new latest fancy I don't know food I distracted myself there thinking about that broccoli shortage have you heard about the broccoli? Is there a broccoli shortage and they've restricted it to three, three heads of broccoli per customer? There was, there was nearly a riot in Scotland when they heard that. <laughs> then they realised they'd misunderstood and it wasn't that everybody had to buy three heads of broccoli. So, God might be shouting to you or he might just be whispering Earlier, Alice had both of the inflatable guitars and she was looking for Ethan. And she wandered round about three or four times and she kept stopping and going, where's Ethan? Where's Ethan? And he was just there, sitting next to Stu. But she was so focused on where she was going round that she didn't look to the side to see him. And I thought, oh, that's a good illustration for this morning. Sometimes we're so focused on where we think we're going and quite often we're, we're, you know, as the psalmist says, who can discover their own errors? Forgive me my hidden faults. A lot of the time, we're not willfully choosing to ignore God. We're actually really focusing on where we think God's calling us to go. And we're really following where we think God wants us to go. And God's at the side going, no, I'm over here. Change direction now. We live in an uncertain world. We always have, you know, even before 1947, before there was a doomsday clock, it was an uncertain world. In some people's opinion, the world is getting more and more and more uncertain and possibly more and more dangerous. We live in uncertain times, nationally, globally, but even within our church. There's a lot of things going on. We're between ministers. It might take a while before we get a minister. God might be calling us in different directions. But the important thing is not to worry about the uncertainty and not to let the uncertainty become our focus. The important thing is to listen for that voice through the fog, in the dark, whether it's shouting or speaking quietly and to follow it. Thank you.